everyone, and welcome to Wholesale Change, the webcast and podcast from Distribution Strategy Group, where we offer thought leadership for wholesale change agents like you. Because if you're on this show, this call, you probably are a wholesale change agent. My name's Ian Heller with Distribution Strategy Group. I'll be your co-host today, along with my wonderful business partner, the doctor of distribution, Jonathan Bine, PhD. Jonathan, how are you today, my friend? I'm great. An apple a day keeps the doctor away. <laughs> well, I haven't had an apple, and thus you're here, doctor. Exactly. So good, good. Well, we have a we have a, we have a fascinating show today. Go ahead. But you have an apple. You just haven't had an apple. Yeah, you you computer scientists are so uh, precise. I I don't even know what to say. Yes. Uh, I, anyway, so we our our show today took wound up taking a bit of a different direction. We were going to talk about you know, really the rest of the year uh, in M&A and distribution for 2022, but we want to get wrapped up in three deals, right? Um, and so we're going to spend most of the time talking about those deals. And then we'll talk a little bit about what's happening in 2022 and then tell you about a show we've got on February 16th, where we'll bring in distribution uh, M&A expert Brent Grover to have a more in-depth discussion. The topic was just too big for one call. So we'll mostly focus on a few specific deals that we'll tell you about in a moment. But before we do that, we want to thank our sponsors and talk about them because without them, this show would not be possible. So the show is brought by brought to you by two sponsors. First, let's talk about Epicor. Are you finally ready to integrate all your business functions with an enterprise resource planning system? Or maybe you're struggling with legacy computer systems that just aren't cutting it anymore. Your IT costs seem never ending. Your servers are at the end of their lifespan. Your systems don't talk to each other and you can't get decent reporting to make informed business decisions. Does that sound like you? At Epicor, they get you and your unique distribution challenges. Epicor has been around for 50 years. Their ERP solutions were designed with distributors for distributors like you. Epicor for distribution goes beyond standard ERPs to provide innovative, highly focused solutions that are made for and essential to your business. Learn more about how Epicor has helped thousands of wholesalers succeed by visiting epicor.com slash distribution. So thank you, Epicor, longtime sponsor of the show. Uh, and we'd also like to thank Cavallo. This is the second episode of Wholesale Change that Cavallo has sponsored. If you're not familiar with them, Cavallo is a distribution management solutions provider founded by an experienced distributor who spent decades perfecting and optimizing a high-powered user-friendly solution built for distributors. Cavallo offers a robust set of execution-based software that provides sales teams with critical customer information to speed up order processing with precise control over every order, including workflow automation to ensure efficiency and accuracy across all your processes. You can also leverage Cavallo's state-of-the-art business intelligence platform to know in real time if an order is out of compliance or in jeopardy and where you can improve to power your company's next big moves Cavallo's data-driven approach has created the best-case scenario for modern distributors, software that meets you where you're at with flexible on-premise and cloud options that empower users to take their next technological step at their own pace, no matter where you are in your technical journey. It's time to take control over your distribution business with software built for distributors without adding a new ERP. For more information on how to experience accelerated growth with Cavallo's business intelligence platform and its distribution management software, visit Cavallo.com today. Okay, so thanks very much to our sponsors. And now let's jump into the content uh, for today's episode. So as we said, we will be talking some about uh, wholesale distribution M&A for 2022. 
But we really got wrapped up in these deals as we started getting into them. The first one in particular is very, very complex. Uh, Lawson Products is acquiring JexPro Services, which is a supply chain solutions provider, and Test Equity, which uh, sells tex- test equipment and some MRO products. Lawson itself is an MRO distributor. Uh, and so I was really the primary person researching that deal. Uh, we'll talk about that for a little while, then talk about uh, Motion. And Jonathan, you did the Motion uh, Command deal research. Uh, and then we'll briefly talk about Whitecap and RAM Tool. That's a very straightforward deal. Motion and Command is pretty straightforward as well. Uh, but uh, Whitecap and RAM Tool is sort of, you know, Whitecap doing what it's been doing, which is buying competitors. Uh, it's pretty pretty straightforward. So these are the three deals we'll primarily talk about. Uh, we'd love to get your input as we go. Please feel free to uh, use the chat or the Q&A, uh, and uh, you can address those specifically to us if you don't want everybody to see uh, your question or your name. Uh, so, But we'd love to get your input as we go. We'll be asking you some questions along the way. So, Jonathan. Comment, Ian? Yeah. Um, n- none of these deals is acquiring another branch or two branches. These are all really significant deals. And it's a little bit unusual to have this many significant deals in such a short period of time, right? Yeah, I think that's right. I think, you know, these sort of happened at the end of 2021 for the most part, but they're, you know, they're, they're huge, right? And, and I think it is a sign that there's going to be a lot of M&A activity in 2022. Um, But let's jump into the Lawson deal first, because it's really a complex deal. So uh, Lawson, and and they wound up releasing the financials for the two privately held companies, Test Equity and um, JexPro Services as part of the deal, right? And so if you look at, let's see there, they, they have a, they have, there's a 638 page deal book that you can download. Uh, and I went through the whole thing. I obviously didn't read every page, but I went through the whole thing. And, and, and basically through nine months, through September 30th, so, you know, through three quarters of the year, um, Test Equity had done about $209 million in revenues. It lost about $4 million. And they've been losing money for the last two or three years based on information in the deal book. Um, not a lot. Jexpro Services is a little bigger. Uh, they did $247 million through nine months and made about $11.6 million in, in profit. Lawson did 315, actually 300, about $316 million in revenues for the first nine months and made about $10 million. Um, and so the combined company uh, through nine months did $772 million in sales. So this is, they're saying it's going to be a billion dollar company in revenues when it's over, okay, when, when the deal closes. And uh, year-to-date made about $9 million after nine months, but they're anticipating $100 million in EBITDA when the, you know, in a billion dollars in sales. That's their target. Uh, in, in, you know, what's, what they say, I mean, this is, deal's really being led by Luther King Capital, who either owned or most or all of these companies um, prior to the deal. And, and, and apparently, anyway, led, led the combination of the three. Now, the reason this is a, I guess, odd, unusual deal is these companies, at least to me, and Jonathan, I'd love to get your view on this. They don't appear to me to have a lot of customer synergies. Do you, do you think so? It, that's how it looks at first blush. And if you, if you sort of peel back 
the test equity history, they're, they have done a number of acquisitions on the MRO side of the business, right. the testing side of the business and an MRO side of the business. And they, the investment thesis there was there were synergies between those two parts of the business. Uh, but now you have things that are seemingly more disparate. Um, looking at the MRO part of test equity, that does seem to align very well with Lawson. That is complementary uh, to Lawson. Well, Lawson's mostly a fasteners distributor, right? right. Um, and the uh, the and they they have a sales model, right? They have what I would say are relatively highly paid sales reps who literally take a lot of the orders, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and Test Equity is primarily a, a e-commerce based business, right? Um, in part, I mean the part of t- part of the test the testing side of the business. So think Tektronics products like that. Part of the testing side of the business that they have there, uh, they do a lot with rentals, and that business in general, whether it's Test Equity or Newark Electronics or any of the other competitors, those are very large transactions. I, I think many of us are familiar with you know, a typical MRO transaction, three hundred right. to eight hundred dollars. The the transactions in that testing space are a multiple of that, not mm-hmm. not a percentage higher. So um, so those are those are very different business different different business models in which to obtain the synergy. Yeah. So uh, the they in their press release they spoke to some synergies and uh, so uh, they they said that the you know, combined pro forma annual revenue will be a billion dollars and EBITDA of more than hundred million, as I mentioned. Uh, the combined entity will have a balanced mix of production, OEM, and MRO, uh, serving a combined 120,000 longstanding customers. And I think the way this breaks down, uh, I think Lawson's got 90,000, Test Equity has 30,000, and Jexpro's got like 1,800. Because Jexpro, you know, they're, they, they do supply chain work what to support Kanban production lines and that kind of thing. So they have fewer, very large customers. Um, ability to en- enhance long-term organic growth rates through offering more products and services to each company's customers. Uh, so this is the sales and marketing synergy. So they're really claiming three kinds, three kinds of synergies here, right? So, or, or three advantages anyway. One is that they can cross-sell, right? That's the typical thing. And, and that's hard to do, right, Jonathan? It's it's hard because it means if you've got a person who knows about fasteners, he or she now needs to know about selling testing products or or a certain class of production supply products. So the the, the knowledge transfer, and, and this is going to be a theme throughout the deals that we have, by the way, the knowledge transfer required to get that cross-selling synergy is harder than closing branches to, you know, um, duplicate branches, right? Yeah, right. Eliminating redundancies is more straightforward and and lower risk than cross selling. And the the other, you remember when we had Darren Rossin, the CE, the president, I guess, of, of AZ Parts Master on the show, and he was talking about how he, when Home Depot bought HD Supply maintenance solutions, some customers actually decided to do that the that was now too big a supplier for them. They wanted supplier diversity. So they actually went out and signed AZ Parts Master as a new supplier to offset the fact that HD Supply and Home Depot now were a very, very large proportion of their purchasing, mm-hmm. right? 
And so there, I don't know if there's that effect here, but it could be. And, and to your point, it's kind of hard to get some of those sales synergies. I mean, I think, you know, look, these are very, very sophisticated investors. They would have properly discounted or 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 accounted for the fact that these things are hard to get. I don't think they're, I'm not implying that they're overestimating, but they still have to go through the hard work of getting it, right? That's, that's right. Yeah, and I think just a word for our audience, uh, Luther King Capital Management is about the pinnacle in private equity for distribution in terms of sophistication, right? Yeah, it's super high integrity. I mean, these are great. I mean, you know, I mean, that's the reputation. I haven't worked with them much, but that's the reputation. Okay, the second area where they're looking for synergies, and this is a really interesting one, and I think maybe the one where I have a bit of a hypothesis that I like the audience to respond to, it may be crazy, but... There's a robust acquisition pipeline with active negotiations with several accretive targets likely to close the next six to 18 months. Okay. All right. So they've got, they're currently negotiating to acquire a bunch of companies, right? I mean, which probably means all three of the entities they're combining have some acquisition targets, right? And their negotiations are underway, correct? Mm -hmm. Okay. So here's my view on this. This is my crazy view on this. I think part of the motivation here, is that although Luther King Capital was, you know, the majority owner, I believe, or the, the largest owner of, of various shareholders for all three of these entities, and they can't just combine the balance sheets of the three unless they create a holding company out of them. And so if you take these three companies and you create a holding company, which is what they're doing, I mean, they're, they're saying they're going to continue to operate them independently. The current CEOs are going to stay in place, right? Um, and, um, you know, so, so it really is a holding company kind of structure, which is really smart, I think, because you can't really just combine the operations of these companies. They're too different, right? But by combining them into a holding company, you, you create a combined balance sheet. And that gives, for example, test equity and... JexPro services access to loss and products balance sheet that they wouldn't have otherwise. And I think loss in, in many ways is a hard company to use as an acquiring company, right? Because they've, they live on very high margins. I think they're about 50% gross margins. They have highly paid sales reps. So if you're going to add, if you're going to acquire somebody unless you're going to use a different sales model for whoever you require or not disturb the one that they already have, you're going to have to find products that are that kind of margin um, and that need that sort of very, very high touch, intense personal selling approach that Lawson uses, which works great for Lawson. I mean, it's a very, very well-run company. We had Mike Decada, their CEO on the show uh, a, a few months ago. And in his tenure at that time, the stock had gone up tenfold, Right. And we compared that to Granger that had gone up, I don't know, like 100% or 200% and, and MSC that had gone up less than that. We're like, oh my gosh, this is one of the best untold stories in distribution is how fast Lawson has gained enterprise value. I, so, I think anybody who's got a tenure should have a tenfold increase. What's that? If, if it's a tenure, it should be a tenfold increase, which is what you said. So he's right on schedule. Yeah. I don't know if he's been there 10 years. I don't remember. But my, my, but the, 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 is the growth of loss in stock over that period of time. The only one I could find that was similar for a big company was Amazon, which was up 12 fold. You know, so you're talking about extraordinary performance, but I think it's hard to acquire companies. And so if you combine them, because like test equity is a much more straightforward platform to acquire companies with. Do you agree with that premise? Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, test equity has done a number of acquisitions on the MRO side. They bought a division of Granger 
Um, and then they bought, which was kind of the brand they're going with on the production supply side. And, they, and then they added three or four other companies in around that. Okay. So, um, yeah. Yeah, okay. So so anyway, so I've got this maybe cockamamie theory that they're just combining the balance sheet so that they can expedite acquisitions that are easier to find for test equity and maybe Jexpro services than they are for loss in products. So that's my, you know, so that's, so we've already talked about some sales marketing synergies and they do talk about how Lawson will benefit from the e-commerce capabilities that test equity has. Um, and then the third area where they talk about synergies is on the purchasing side, right? So they can, uh, enhance product sourcing opportunities with pri including private label opportunities while expanding channels to market. So this is, you know, sort of sourcing to selling, adding new channels and new private label opportunities and, and probably some sourcing leverage and synergies potentially. Although I don't think these companies have a lot of crossover in their product mix. Um, and then the fourth area, I think I said there were three, but I think there are four, um, is the ability to leverage best practices, back office resources, and technology across the platform to drive operating efficiencies. Now, that's sort of your classic redundancy elimination type of synergy. So those are the four areas where they see synergies. My personal view, I'd love for the, for the audience to weigh in, is that this com combination of balance sheets into a holding company is the most compelling of these and would appear to me to have the most value. Yeah, and that and that now are they are a different scale as a company, right? So as a as a billion dollar player in the industrial space, you go from you know fiftieth or whatever Lawson was, and I I don't know the number, so I'm not I don't yeah. want to be accountable to that. You go you go you're in a different scale now, right? You know you're, you're the next player you're trying to compete against is you know in, in the billion dollar billion dollar category, and that's a that's a very different thing than what they had before. Okay, so let me ask you this. And do you think Lawson is now a more formidable competitor to companies like Granger, uh, MSC, Fastenal, et cetera, as a result of the, once this transaction closes? Absolutely. Okay. Um, an, an expansion of services and capability. Um, so if we go back to our complexity model, right, their acquisition of JexPro allows them to handle more complex transactions that involve more value-added components, which is very different than the Granger model, right? Okay. So you so you you think they're going to take that JexPro services capabilities, which are very robust. I mean it's, right. a, it's a it's a much bigger company than I thought. I mean, because these were privately held, I didn't see their financials before. If they had disclosed them, I hadn't seen them. Mm -hmm. But now they did as a part of this. So you think they're going to take those those capabilities in Jexpro services and sell Lawson products through them and expand the marketing reach of Jexpro services? Yes, correct. And and if you again, if you look at Lawson, I mean they're they're very strong in things like VMI, bin replenishment, all that stuff. Um, it, it is their their hybrid CSR sales rep model, right? You have sales reps doing it all, right? The, the, the person that comes to the premise is doing it all for them, right? They don't have a distinction between sales reps and customer service reps. So it's it's a highly value-added model. And I think that the supply chain stuff is very uh, complementary to that. Yeah, we have a question from the audience. Uh, 
with cost of capital so low these days, why would an improved balance sheet and borrowing be such an important synergy? So I think that is the core question to challenge my hypothesis. So thank you for that. Um, so I've been, I thought about that, and I, I, I don't know that I have a definitive answer, but I'll tell you my, my point of view on it. So if you have a combined balance sheet for an entity that you are the owner of and that you control, then it's much simpler to make acquisitions than the typical PE method of raising a fund and enrolling investors. And, um, you know, I mean, they do it all the time, so it's not hard, but it's very straightforward uh, if you own the company. You don't need to, you know, get anybody's permission, I guess, to go make acquisitions. And you can uh, fund them with cash on the balance sheet rather than, you know, generating new forms of equity or incurring debt. So even, I guess, even less expensive cash on the balance sheet than, than the cost of capital that Jeff's referencing, right? Yeah, it could be. I mean, I think it depends on what happens with interest rates. With interest rates going up now, uh, uh, you know, perhaps that that is the case. Uh, uh, but anyway, so I don't know. I mean, I think you're, you're asking a great question. I'd be interested in, in, how, in how this person responds to my answer to them. Uh, but that's all I can think of. I and mean, I, you know, I, I'm struggling a little bit to understand the synergies in this deal. And so, you know, it's kind of like, you know, Sherlock, what Sherlock Holmes said, you know, <laughs> if you eliminate, um, if you eliminate every other possibility, the remaining one must be true. I don't really buy the, that the, the customers facing synergies are that uh, have, have enough uh, uh, benefit to drive this deal. The purchasing synergies and 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 the back office synergies, I feel the same way about. But these are brilliant people. They make smart acquisitions. They do a good job. There's got to be a reason. And so I sort of settled on this, well, combined balance sheet hypothesis, but it could be wrong. Um, so uh, uh, anyway, so that, that's my view on those three companies. Um I will. I think the the Michael Mike Decada and Ron Knudsen, who are the CEO and CFO at Lawson, are going to be the you know the the heads of the holding company that the all three entities uh, roll up into. Um, and I think based on their performance over the last several years, that this holding company is going to be in good hands. Anything else we want to talk about with that deal, or should we move on, Jonathan? I think let's transition. Okay. Good. Good. All right. So let's talk about. Um, Command and uh, and motion, terrific. So the the deal with command and motion. So motion is a six point seven billion dollar forward. It was forward revenue for twenty twenty two. Command is one point one billion for twenty twenty two. EBITDA for motion is about a ten percent. EBITDA for command is about an eight percent. When you put the two of them together, the projections show. Uh, just under $8 billion, $7.8 billion revenue, $815 million EBITDA, and about a 10.5% uh, EBITDA post-merger. So um, they're, they're showing a story that is going to be accretive uh, in, 20, in calendar year 2022, um, and it will make them the second largest industrial distributor in North America, trailing only Granger. So yeah. This is a significant move for, for motion. Uh, if we look at the kind of motion's history on acquisitions, they've, they've done three, five, maybe six a year over the last decade on average. 
And most of those acquisitions are small. I mean, they are 15, 20, 30, $50 million. They acquired a company called Miller Industrial. Um, I think that was 150 million. So they're, they're, they tended to acquire smaller, uh, smaller properties as part of their acquisition strategy. They've spun off companies. They spun off EIS, uh, which was not quite a fit. It was more on the electrical side. Mm -hmm. uh, GPC spun off SP Richards, which was more on the office uh, products. Yeah, the, the packaging and the um, Jansan world. Um, so this is a really, really significant move. So you have the largest player getting even larger. And I and if you if you look at the sort of remaining large players in the sector, you know, AIT, I think ends up being next in the space. Mm -hmm. And motion was already larger than AIT. That's applied industrial technology. Um, the deal itself is valued at $1.3 billion in cash. So um, command, you know, was, was in a good position to get a, a good multiple on, on the valuation. Um, here's here's way to here's some ways to think about this particular deal. Um, in terms of the the synergies that they're looking at, they're they're looking at the the branch uh, redundancy. So there will be branch reduction. They're looking at supply supplier um, overlap where they can get uh, significantly more um, buying power from from those suppliers. Um, and then they've also looked at the, the customer overlap. And Ian, a point that you brought up earlier today is that sometimes what happens um, is like what you mentioned with HD Supply and... Um, Ram Tool? No, H, I'm sorry, HD Supply. Oh, and, and Home Depot. On and Home, Home Depot, Depot. Right, yes, right, thank right, you. Right, right. Yeah, all these H's and D's get me confused. Um, so the one of the things that was noted in the in the analyst calls was that no single customer of either company represents more than ten percent of the deal, and uh, they really felt like that that risk of having too much within one customer, customer concentration, or um, you know the, the the risk you brought up of customer says, "Great, you're you're too big with us. We're going to get a secondary supplier." Uh, the CEO of 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 uh, motion said, you know, there's a lot of smaller companies where they have a uh, big opportunity to um, to cross sell and, and to cross fertilize. So the main sort of synergies from a product standpoint, if you look at motion, um, something like 34, 35% of their revenue is bearings and power transmission. Um, next is hydraulics and pneumatics. I'm not talking about the MRO side of things. I'm really talking about the, the PTMC side of the house. Next is seals, pumps, and hoses. And then a distant fourth in those categories is electrical and automation. So a lot of what command is bringing um, is uh, the fluid power and the automation. Um, those are going to complement Motion's products very well. Um, and then also command has got um, significant engineered solutions capability. Um, and that's that's been true for a long time. So you're you're already in a sector that is differentiated by by value add, right? Right. Um, I mean, there are some simple transactions. You know, there are plenty of them, but there's also a lot of more complex transactions. And so the command capability and the engineered solutions 
um, takes motion overall more towards more complex transactions. Did you want to handle the, the question there, Ian? Yeah, so we have someone asking, uh, was the HSR review, that's the FTC's antitrust review of deals, uh, a significant hurdle uh, for this deal, for this motion command deal? I mean, I, I don't really know. It, it, um, it didn't come up in the analyst calls? Yeah, I know. And it's funny because I think this is, I don't, I don't have data to support this opinion. I think the FTC, because of all the disruption happening with major players, like, you know, Home Depot growing at ferocious rates in industrial supplies and construction supplies, both, you know, they do both MRO and building products and the formulation of Amazon business. Um, you know, I think deals like when when Whitecap acquired construction supply group and with uh, motion acquiring command, I think that they're not as, I think they're more willing to let these big deals go through uh, because I've not heard about uh, the FTC disputing any of these deals or, 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 you know, really getting in the way of them. And yeah, the, the size of these deals 10 years ago, you would have thought that that would have been an obstacle. So I'd love to hear what people in the audience think. It's an outstanding question, uh, but I didn't hear a thing about any about these deals in terms of the FTC, you know, the HSR review being a problem. And you know, we listened to a lot of the earnings calls for these companies. And you're right, the the analysts and the calls almost never even bring it up anymore. I, I wonder if it's because Motion is part of the larger GPC. I wonder if that provides some kind of cover. In this? I don't know. I, I think it's more based on how much market share that these companies take up and whether it's going to have an anti-competitive effect uh, in the marketplace and result in, you know, prices being raised to customers, which is sort of what they're trying to prevent. Um, so I don't, I, I didn't hear a thing. If anyone in the audience heard anything about this HR, the HSR review being problematic for any of these deals, please, you know, weigh in. But I have, it just hasn't been an issue in any deal in distribution recently that I can recall. So I think the command motion does a lot more straightforward, a lot, it's a lot easier to combine synergies, right? Or yeah, there, synergies. There, there's a question to Randy Bro, the CEO of motion about the synergies. Um, mm -hmm. So the question was, is it supply chain, you know, share supply chain, distribution infrastructure, is it cross-sell? Is it leveraging pricing in the inbound or outbound given their scale? And Bro's comment was he expects to take advantage of all three of these. Okay. So. If you, if you look, you know, a little bit deeper, um, command had kind of a jump start in the automation through acquisitions. Motion did the same. Yeah. As they, as they fold the business under one brand, um, it will essentially double the automation business for Motion. So that's a really, really significant piece. Um, KDG is bringing a lot of talent in that space to to the acquisition. Hmm. So they expect that by optimizing the branch networks. Um, consolidating standalone branches, product distribution network, uh, accelerating growth um, with, with sales, um, harmonize the supplier and the whole supply chain thing. They can be looking at a $50 million annualized synergy run rate. So that's a really, really significant uh, increase in, in profitability uh, for the business. They were a little bit less they're really focusing less on the sales side of things. I think they were being a little bit more conservative um, in projecting that to the street than might actually be there. Um, I think when you combine products like these, you have customers that are buying both, both of their, their kinds of products. 
Um, th this, this appears to me a, to be a better complementary position from a product standpoint than um, what we understand anyhow of the, of the Lawson deal. Yeah. Um, and it's interesting. It's just occurred to me. But if you look at all three of these deals, these are extremely value-added dis distributors. Oh, yeah. I mean, there's very little of the revenue here that is like spot buy kind of stuff, right? General MRO, you you hop on a website, you make a small purchase and 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 you know clear 10 POs off your desk. I mean, they all have some of that. But you know, if you look at like the service centers that motion operates where they do repairs and and you know, uh, rebuild pumps and that kind of stuff, uh, and and gear drives or whatever it is. That, I mean, it's really impressive. They've got quite a network of repair centers, and they and all three of these companies have very or all. In all three of these deals, there are uh, sales reps that are highly trained and, you know, really consultative sellers. And, you know, they're, they're different, right? I mean, Jexpro is supporting production lines. Well, Whitecap has a version of that where they support construction projects, right? And you know, it's, there's a lot of complexity, which we talk about as being how distributors differentiate from these marketplaces. Yeah, and I think that would be in contrast. Um, there's a couple of deals going on in Jamsan right now. There's a couple of acquirers where they're just acquiring everything in sight um, between 30 and $100 million. But that's a sector where there's far less value add, right? Well, I think investors are realizing that, you know, these highly value added distributors are just much less exposed to disruption. I mean, I can't wait to see how the Lawson deal works out. I think we don't understand it very well. But I think the people doing it really do. <laughs> yeah. And I think, I think uh, it's going it, to, I can't, you know, I mean, the funny thing is, instead of the, kind of the frustration with these deals is we know many of the people involved, this, you know, some of the CEOs, et cetera, and we can't talk to any of them. I mean, we, because, you know, it's just, it's not, wouldn't be appropriate, right? They're not going to, they're not going to tell us anything anyway, especially if there's a, 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 you know, for these, for the publicly held companies. Um but I can't wait until the point where they've revealed enough of their strategy that we can, you know, try to get some of them back on the show and have them talk about, you know, how it's going and where they're going. Right. Yes. Um, okay. So let's, uh, let's pivot now and talk about, uh, we'll wrap up with YCAP and Ram tool. So, you know, YCAP's got like 400 branches, Ram tool had, I think 45 or something. So it was probably, you know, close to a 10 X bigger company, YCAP. But these two were absolutely mortal enemies for a, a long time. So they would, you know, hire each other's employees and they, they had all these lawsuits going back and forth. So I was kind of surprised to see this deal happen, actually, because even though I think it makes a lot of sense strategically and financially, I thought potentially that there'd be too much bad blood between them for it to happen. So I'm glad they got over that. I think this is another one where the question about HSR review could apply because, you know, Whitecap is becoming, a, you know, far and away the largest uh, uh, supplier of concrete construction products, um, industrial construction or whatever you want to call it. And so, you know, the, the, they just sort of dwarf everybody else in the space now. Um, but it seemed like this one's going through unopposed as well. And I attribute that again to the incredible growth of Home Depot in this space, uh, you know, which it has done primarily on the construction side, done organically, not through acquisition. Um, and so I think, you know, the, the, this is a straightforward deal. They're going to pick up a bunch of business that they didn't have previously. They can probably rationalize some branch locations because I know they overlap in some markets um, and uh, they, 
you know, pick up a bunch of experienced salespeople. I mean, one of the hardest things to get in this construction space is experienced sales reps. I mean, they, 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 they have to make, they have to pay them a lot of money. They have years and years of experience and however many reps Ram tool has, you know, that's a big talent pool to add to the white cap platform and give them a lot more resources to work with. And the other reality is bigger, bigger companies get better multiples. So in all three cases, you're taking smaller companies and joining them up to make bigger companies, which means they're inherently more valuable as long as the, you know, you successfully execute the, the, uh, uh, the integrations. So from what we understood with the construction supply group and white cap deal, that put them close to a $4 billion run rate, maybe high threes. Yeah, I think they're over five now. They're over five now, right? Yeah. So, so in the construction space, in the, in the building material space broadly, they're starting to get up there in the number two, three, or four space, right? Yeah, but everyone who's above them, they don't compete with. Right, like ABC, for example. Yeah, they sell different products. You know, they right. sell insulation or doors and windows or roofing or flooring, and Whitecap doesn't sell any of that stuff. Yeah. Um, you know, you know, just as a data point, I joined Whitecap as VP of Marketing in 2013. I was there for seven years, and when I joined, the company was 857 million dollars in 2013. Now it's nine years later, and it's five billion. That's unbelievable. Yeah. <laughs> and. You know, so they've got the, you know, so John Stegeman's the CEO. He was the president and then the CEO. He's always been the top person in the organization since he joined also in 2013 uh, or maybe 2012, somewhere around there. And then uh, Alan Sollenberger is now the president, right? And that, I mean, that's really a dynamic duo. Those are very, very talented leaders. And, you know, the, they're, I'm, they're private equity owned again. I'm assuming there's an IPO in their future, although I don't know for sure. Uh, but man, I tell you, that is a, that is a case study that somebody should write about how John, uh, really just galvanized that company culture, strategy, talent, um, and, uh, and, you know, built this giant distribution company. So when you look at this deal, um, so supplier synergies, product synergies branch, where, where do you see the, the main action being? I think the purchasing synergies are obvious because you're just bigger now. Yep. Although I don't know how much is left now that YCAP is very, very large. I think this was probably a very straightforward deal in terms of valuation because you could just look at the projects that RamTool had won in the marketplace, what those revenues were worth, estimate what you get for all the spot by stuff that happens for, to support construction sites. Um, you'd add some branch locations. So I think I think it's 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 probably on the revenue side, on the on the sales and marketing side. Mm -hmm. um, but I think there's significant you know, redundancies that they can eliminate to take some costs out of the operation and add some supply chain slash procurement synergies. That's my best guess. Um, um, you know, I wonder, um, I wonder if a next step for Whitecap is to expand their product categories, right? You're saying they don't compete with ABC, they don't compete with Beacon, you know, all those players. Great. We know that. Um, is, is there an next logical step? Have they gotten, is, is, do they just not have enough more, is, is there just not enough runway in their current sector to grow more in that sector? It's still highly fragmented. I, they might, I, 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 don't, I don't have an opinion on that, I guess. It doesn't strike me as obvious that they would do that. I okay. think, you, you know, at some point in time they'll have to, I guess, but 
you know, I think right now they're going to consolidate their operations. They're going to get more efficient. Uh, they're going to bring the, a lot more professionalism on the, on the category management side. You know, they're very sophisticated that way. They've got great category directors and, and uh, uh, fantastic, you know, one of the best marketing departments. Um, and I'm not saying that because of what, what they did when I was there, they've gotten a lot better since I left <laughs> and, uh, they have a great, great, you know, sales and marketing machine and category management machine. They're going to bring all that expertise to all these acquisitions, build a bunch of efficiencies and, and leverage and go public. And every, all the, all the, all the people who own equity are going to make a fortune. That's the, that's the, what's coming next for them. So here's, let's do a wrap up question before we go. Uh, do you expect this pace of m a to continue through 2022? I mean, we'll ask this question on uh, when we have Brent Grover on the show in a couple of weeks, but for a few weeks, but what do you think? I think the pace at the smaller end of the market is going to increase significantly because mm-hmm. there's a certain resource required to scale into this decade. A lot of it has to do with digital infrastructure, customer facing digital infrastructure, um, overall, uh, digital transformation. Smaller companies just don't have the resources to do that. Right. And then COVID came along and accelerated the need for all of that by pick a number, three, four, five years. So if I'm a mid-market distributor, 100 million to 500 million, I think there have to be a lot of 20 and 30 and 40 million dollar companies that I could acquire. And what I would be looking at, and we'll look at this in, in, in the next session with Brandt, is I'd be looking for companies that have good expertise, good customer base, don't have the resources to scale, right? So I think you, we'll be looking at this both from the being acquired side and from the acquirer side with Brent. But I think there's no shortage of that. And I think that's going to continue for the next couple or three years. There's a lot of $20 and $30 million companies where the ownership doesn't have succession plans, right? Yeah, I think the other thing, and you referred to COVID, I think COVID really highlighted the differences between companies with good digital capabilities and those without. And so if you didn't have great digital capabilities, you really got hammered during, during COVID. Um, And so sort of the haves and have nots gap grew on digital capabilities. And so, you know, if a good way to get that fast is to acquire somebody who's good at it. Right. That's one possibility. Another possibility is that you, if you were the acquirer, you have a platform that you can fold them into. Sure. Um, so if you, if you just look round numbers at the digital transformation that's required, it's easily a seven digit number, two common number. It could be, it could be, it could be a couple of or $3 million. So if you're a yeah. 20 or $30 million distributor, yeah, you can't do it. You just can't do it. Right. So, right. so I think, I think the move is if you're the, if you're the company that's going to get acquired, how do you position in a way that you get the best valuation? Um, when when the music stops, right? When when we if we're playing musical chairs, um, and then if you are the acquirer, how do you spot the companies that are really going to be part of a platform where you can bring value to that company that is accretive uh, within eighteen months? Good, good, interesting. Okay, so um, we do we'll we'll continue this discussion on uh, February sixteenth when uh, Brent Grover joins us. Brent is a NAW fellow, there's only four of those, right? You really have to be a wizard in wholesale distribution to be named a fellow by the National Association of Wholesaler Distributors. And so Brent will be joining us to talk about what's going on with distribution M&A and, and how he sees the, the, you know, 
sort of fat success factors in making acquisitions and integrating them as well as, you know, trends for the rest of 2022. Uh, we do have a show on February 1st, uh, but I wanted to promote this one because it continues this topic about uh, what's going on with distribution of an A. We uh, hope you will join us for our 2022 state of e-commerce. That's on February 2nd at noon. Uh, so that's brought to you by Oracle NetSuite and Optimizely. The, the uh, show with Brent Grover is brought to you by Oracle NetSuite and Cavallo. You can reach us at uh, distributionstrategy.com. Uh, feel free to visit us there, click on events, and reach out to us if you have questions, comments, protests, complaints, et cetera. Our contact information is iHeller at distributionstrategy.com and jbyan, B-E-I-N at distributionstrategy.com. Thanks for joining us today. We'll see you on the next episode of The Wholesale Change Show. In the meantime, be well and hope you sell a lot of stuff. Jonathan, great to work with you again, my friend. We'll talk to you soon. Take care.